They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. Right now, right now I'm losing that. Stood on the stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. Right now, oh right now I just can't. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. What will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am?
I'm Bob Machetta, and I have the privilege of chairing your elder board. One of my duties is to be the communication link with the congregation. We all know we are facing challenging times as a church. We have several pastors assuming new roles and the possibility of conducting a search for a senior pastor. The elder board is praying for clarity to see God's plan. We are trusting the Lord will lead Pastor John and CBC in a direction that will expand his kingdom and bring him glory. The elder team is prepared to act in accordance with God's will. We are committed to provide you with transparent and timely information as we navigate through this journey. For additional information about the elder board, the pamphlet you see here will be available for your review. Please feel free to reach out to myself or any of the other elders to ask questions and provide input. We look forward to interacting with you. On behalf of the elder board, I ask for your prayers for clarity to see God's plan as we move forward as a church. Hey, Cypress Bible Church, would you welcome, welcome yourselves to worship today? Would you come and stand together with us and let's sing to the Lord. Lift us up. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout.
shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart, then I shall bow in humble adoration and there This morning. Thank you so much for worshiping. Hey, we're going to do something you maybe haven't done in a long time, but you need to do it because when we're at church, we come together and this is a community. We're going to turn to the left, to the right, and as you feel comfortable in a COVID safe way, why don't you say hello to somebody? Maybe a wave, maybe a wink and a smile. Hi, how are you doing? Wasn't that wonderful? We were built for community, you know, and one thing that we can always put our hope in is that Jesus, that God is our protection. He is our fortress. He is our savior. He is our refuge. And I just want to share a scripture passage that reminds us of this truth. 
And it's a long one, so get ready. And I'm going to invite you to say the last part of it with us. So get ready for your part two. But take these words in, and I want you to, even right now, as this is read over you, engage your mind, your heart, and worship, and remind yourself that God is a refuge and a fortress for our lives. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Oh, the power of our God. And then would you say this together with us? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And he is, church family. Sing this out with Bonnie as she leads us. Our God is a consuming fire, burning holy flame with glory and freedom. Our God is the only righteous judge, Keep our eyes on you. We will keep our eyes on you. A mighty fortress is our God. A sacred refuge is your name. Your kingdom is unshakable.
you can be seated as we continue. One of our elders, John, is going to come and lead us in a special time of prayer. Good morning, Cypress Bible Church. In the Old Testament, we observe how the Lord chose a people for himself from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that he told his people through the prophet Moses that he had chosen them not because they were great in number, no, because they were the least amongst all nations. He chose them because he loved them. And out of this love came redemption out of the house of slavery in Egypt. And not only did the Lord redeem them, but he also performed miracles, plagues upon Egypt, and the miraculously dry crossing of the Red Sea. And furthermore, we see that out of love of God for his people, he gave them as a sign of a covenant, the law of Moses. And likewise, we observe in the New Testament how Christ, through his death, purchased a people out of many nations. And we see through this redemption, the great power of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the act of causing us to be born again. And we also receive into our bosom the law of Christ, which separates us from all other people so that we may live holy unto God. But notice that it is the work of God in us by his power and according to his will. With that in mind, we will throughout the week concentrate and make emphasis on our need to trust in Christ, trust in his power, trust according to his will that he will grow our church and he will work in our church. And this is based off Ephesians 2, verse 20 through 21, where we read, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So to, in this moment, I invite you to pray with me the words that are appear, about to appear on the screen. Let us pray. Jesus, build us, strengthen us, grow our faith. This is your church, and you created us. We are yours. Use this church as you will for your glory. Do what only you can do. You are our foundation. Unite our church and help us to grow closer to you. You are our source of life and strength. We are grounded, secure, and victorious through the power of the almighty King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.
stand together with us and sing that chorus?
worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. And you are miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, you are, wave maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you
you are what makes a way. You gently hold our hand. And Lord, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see what you're doing, your plan, you're still there. You're still moving. You're still working. And we know that you are leading us every step of the way. May our trust continue to be placed in you alone. It's in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How great it is to praise God together, to celebrate who he is. And uh, we sing about him leading us. And it's only when you know that God is holy and righteous, good, and sovereign that you could even want that to happen, right? that he would lead us. So we praise God for who he is. I'm really not a great gift giver. You could ask my wife, but you can take my word for it. Not, uh, I don't always pick out the best things. I have good intentions. But I know a bad gift when I see one. And uh, this is what not to get somebody for Christmas. Ticker, the death watch. So a description of Ticker from their media page goes this way. Tick-tock, time is passing by, life is spinning madly on, it's all overwhelming. But what if you had a watch to tell you the exact seconds, minutes, days, and years left in your life? Ticker is a digital wristwatch that helps users determine how long they have left to live. Wearers fill out a personal questionnaire on their health history, subtract their age from the results, and voila, the countdown begins. Don't want it. Ecclesiastes is a little like the ticker death watch. That's our study. This puzzling book in the Hebrew Bible. It was written by the wisest man who ever lived. He had all the money, all the power to experience everything he ever wanted to do. The teacher, as he refers to himself, takes us on a journey through this book of Ecclesiastes, trying to find meaning to life on this planet. And throughout the book, he describes all kinds of detours and dead ends in the search for ultimate satisfaction. He tries money and sex and power and things like construction and the arts and music, collection, entertainment, parties, any form of gratification that, 
that he could imagine. And yet he comes up empty in all of this. We are now in chapter 3 of our study, chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, and he talks a lot about time. And I call this tick-tock. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the hugely popular social media platform TikTok, it is spelled differently than this. For those of you who are, you say, well, he spelled it wrong. No, I'm, this is an old-timey expression, okay? This is an old-timey expression that, that, that refers to time is slipping away. And I'm not going to be doing any short dance videos either just for this. Ecclesiastes calls us to face the fact that time is out of our control. Out of our control. And that's so frustrating to realize that. Every second of every day brings you closer to the end. You don't need a death watch to tell you that. So now we're going to study chapter 3 and answer three questions on the subject of time, basically. Here are the three questions. We're going to go through the text and answer. Number one. What can I expect in this life? Number two, why am I so frustrated in this life? Number three, how can I live meaningfully? So we'll go through the text and deal with those questions. The the first is, what can I expect in this life? Well, the the Astros are doing pretty well so far. Yesterday, not so good, but uh, they won... The series over the the White Sox, my former team that I used to root for before I moved here. And in the course of that series, got accused of cheating again. Sign stealing. And uh, the White Sox manager, Tony La Russa, he's like 112, he's seen everything. He brushed off the accusation and he said, they are a very good team. Which is true. So that explains how they did so well. They're a very good team. But the implication, though, of of sign stealing, it's an advantage to know which pitch is coming. How many people get never make it into the big leagues because they can't hit a curveball? They don't see it coming. Boom, they're out. So very simply, the answer to what can I expect in this life is a lot of curveballs you don't see coming. The unexpected is what you can expect. Now, look at the first eight verses here. They're a poem. And I'm going to read this poem. It's familiar, popular song made about it. Uh, And then I'll comment afterwards. Here are the first eight verses. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. It's a poem. And let me tell you right off the bat that this is descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, it's describing the way things are on planet Earth, not the way they must be. 
And there are 14 pairs of contrasting opposites here in this poem. And that number 14 signifies completeness. In other words, uh, by this poetry and the words that are used and the way it's arranged, uh, Solomon is, is communicating that this covers everything. So I, I just point out a few of the contrasts just to give you an idea. Verse 3, uh, a time to kill, a time to heal. That's a contrast between killing and healing. So killing, one is a, that's an intentional act of ending the life. Healing is an act to preserve a life. They're contrasts. A time to break down and time to build up. Those occur here in the context of war. So in the attack, walls and buildings are demolished, and after victory, those same structures and those same places are rebuilt. And Solomon, in saying this, isn't making moral judgments. He's, he's describing what happens under the sun. That's on this planet, apart from God. Verse 5, there's a time to clear stones and there's a time to, to, to throw them. Time to throw them, time to gather them, it says. Well, it, in the ancient world, you absolutely had to clear stones from a field so that you could plant crops. And then there's also the ancient practice, which we have recorded in 2 Kings 3, for example, of ruining the enemy's field by throwing stones into it. So you make things more difficult for your enemy by throwing, casting stones in the field. 2 Kings 3, 19, 25. And there are times to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. That word embrace, by the way, refers to action that that shows affection for someone else, from a very simple greeting or welcome to to the most intimate of actions. We greeted some folks this morning. It's a weird year, 2020, wasn't it? Uh, My whole life, since I was a little kid, I'd never gone more than probably a few days without shaking hands with somebody. I went at least a year with nobody wanting to shake my hand at all. Time to refrain from embracing. And there's a time to embrace. Verse 6, time to seek and a time to lose. Another contrast. You know what, Amy and I, the first few years of marriage in particular, maybe the first 20, we had no money. The first few were very hard. And um, at one point, I, I, well, I had a diamond ring from an engagement that I broke off. And that wasn't something I was going to give to my wife. See, I know enough to know. So I thought, well, we could sell this ring. I worked all summer full time to pay for this ring. It's got to be worth something. And in the process of getting that assessed and deciding what to do, we lost the ring. We looked and we looked and we looked. There's a time to look. And then came the time, it's like, okay, it's lost. It's not coming back. It's not because that was like 32 years ago. I've moved like 80 times since then. It's gone. It's time for that. There's a time, it says, verse 6, to keep and a time to cast away. You know, I love books. I got tons and tons of books. I don't have to like the book to hang on to it. It's so hard to get rid of books for me. But this week, I have a book. I've carried it around at least since I was in college. At least. It has gone all over this country. 
moved it from pillar to post. I looked at that book this week and I said, you know, I've never gotten a single thing out of this book of value. I'm throwing it away. And I did. I almost pulled it out of the garbage and brought it back. But no, there's a time to throw away. Verse 8, time to love and a time to hate. Time for war, time for peace. Now, he's not advocating one emotion over another. He's just describing the variety of human experience, saying that you can expect everything in this life. It will not all be pleasure. There will be pain. It will not all be turmoil. There will be calm. It will not all be beautiful. There will be ugliness. Life is full of the unexpected. So that's the the answer to the first question. What can I expect? The unexpected. Curveballs that you don't see coming. Question two, why am I so frustrated? Well, there's one answer, question one, but there's more to it about why I'm so frustrated in this life, and you too, frustrated. Solomon says this, verses 9 to 11, what does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So recognize, he starts out again with this rhetorical question he's already asked before, going to ask again, what's the point of working so hard in life if it's full of curveballs? What's the point of trying hard? And this is a burden that he does answer in this book. He's answered it already in chapter 2. He's going to answer it again here. But that's, that's a rhetorical question. Because there's a burden that God has put on us. There's a weight. There's a responsibility. There's a task that God has laid. What is that? It's that God made everything beautiful and put eternity in our hearts. what's, What's that about? Everything has been created with magnificence, at least for a time. And God created us with olam, is the Hebrew word. Eternity. Endless. Infinity. God's put that in us. And the burden is that because God made us this way, we don't know what God is doing. We can't, experience, we can't fully grasp the beauty of what God has done. See, what, however else you might have read this, verses 9 to 11 are an utter cry of frustration. Frustration. And it's one that we see several places in Scripture. Why is he so frustrated? Well, I want you to imagine with me the most beautiful place you've ever seen. I know it's somewhere in Texas, but let's just imagine with me. It could be elsewhere too. Think about something that took your breath away. Maybe a white sand beach in the Bahamas or a New England hillside ablaze with fall colors. A Colorado mountain covered with fresh snow. A gentle river. You're fishing in the middle of it. A thundering waterfall. A vast field of corn swaying in the breeze your newborn baby, the melody of your favorite song, your bride on her wedding day, a masterpiece hanging just out of reach in in an art gallery, the glorious architecture of an ancient cathedral, the soaring wonder of a skyscraper, the magnificence of a rainbow, the, the music of a concert that just elevates your spirit when you hear it. Your first kiss with the one you love. Think about that time, that place, that feeling. Don't you wish you could feel that way all the time? Wouldn't it be great to live on that beach, to see those colors every day, 
to experience the swell of emotion and feel the thrill of beauty all the time? Don't, don't you want to hear that music better? Don't you want to see those colors more clearly? Don't you want to feel the sunshine and feel the waves more intensely to be able to understand more fully, more completely, to love more deeply? See, God has given you a desire for something that's beyond your reach. That, that's, that's what Ecclesiastes tells us. There is olam in your heart. The center of your existence longs for the eternal, and it's always just out of reach. All things were made in God's splendor. They all had a time of beauty, and yet that time comes and goes. And you and I have a hunger for immortality. We have a hunger for infinity. We have a hunger for more than we can grasp in this life. And it comes from your creator. See, your world is in constant change, constant change. But eternity is in your heart. That's frustrating. And the word I've used, I've used it before here several years ago. It's a word I think I coined maybe 20 years ago. It's the word everness. Everness. Every one of us has an innate knowledge that there is more in this life than we can grasp. But here we are trapped in time as it tick-tocks away. And you can't experience all this beauty powerfully or, or sufficiently or totally enough to, to, to solve and soothe that longing. In fact, you can't even figure out what God is doing because you're limited and finite and he is infinite. And as yet he's created this sense of everness in you. You sense that there's this eternal purpose for life, but you can't completely grasp it. And what you might try to do then is try to fill that emptiness and scratch that itch with, with things like stuff and experiences and people and busyness and pleasure and distractions and on and on and on. But that will never work. And that's what Solomon goes to all this length to, to tell us. And there are all kinds of people who can testify to this search. And let me give you one, as, as probably each week I'm going to try to give you one from a person that you at least know about, and this one would be Brad Pitt. The emphasis now, he says, is on success and personal gain. I'm sitting in it, and I'm telling you, that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything. I know. But I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. It's not it. Because there is a longing in us that we were made for something more. We're conscious of eternity. And while our outer body wastes away, and the world around us changes with rapidity, there's something in us that surpasses decay. Something in us that's olam, that's eternal. And oh yes, the, the hair gets gray and thin, the hands wrinkled and arthritic and the heart wears out and the, the blood clogs and the eyes dim and the joints ache. And if you're under 30, it's coming, all right? It's coming. But there's something that's immortal. See, God placed everness in our hearts. Everything is beautiful in its time, but it passes, it fades, it deteriorates. 
And so here we are, you and me, stuck in time, frustrated with our inability to control time, frustrated with our inability to satisfy the eternity question that God put there, unable to scratch what itches most, incapable, incapable of enjoying everything we see to its fullest extent. There's a hunger in our spirit for the ideal. There's a hunger in us for the perfect, for the absolute good. And even the best things in this world, in in their prime, in their beauty, don't quite make it. And so too often what we do is we go off and seek other loves. We seek other ways to scratch the itch or uh, fill the void or fulfill the desire. And we don't realize we were created with everness and it cannot be satisfied with any of these things. So question one, what can I expect? Lots of curveballs you don't see coming. Question two, why am I so frustrated? Because you have olam in your heart. That's the way God made you. Question three, well then how do I live meaningfully? How how does this work then? If, If God's put this burden, which is what he calls it, on me, on us, on you, what gives? Well, we'll start with verse 12. That's the next one anyway. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Now there's more to this chapter. We don't have time to go through it all. But let me just summarize where... See, Solomon does not yet give a complete answer to that question that I'm asking. How can I live meaningfully? He doesn't give a complete one just yet. He's he's hinting at it. He's working around the edges. He's getting there. But but what what does he do here? He repeats the theme he's already hit on in chapter 2 that we covered last week. And that is that you have to see everything in your life as the gift of God. Or life is going to be a mess. Everything, your food, your drink, your work, all are blessings from his hand. And you have to view view everything in life in in light of eternity. So I could put it in these words that you cannot control time, so reorient your life towards your creator, the one who is above time and beyond time. And, And this is best done all these thousands of years after Ecclesiastes was written in light of the gospel. Through the lens of the good news of Jesus is is how this all makes sense. Because that longing for the eternal is something that God addressed. He created that in us so that he might fulfill it. How? Well, the easy answer is that that longing for everness is only satisfied in Jesus. Uh, For example, one of many places, but Jesus himself says in John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life, the eternal, is knowing God through Christ. So Jesus is your path to fulfillment. And apart from him, you're incomplete. In his perfection, you find satisfaction. 
And when you turn away from all your attempts to save yourself and mend your own brokenness and try to fill your own emptiness and rest in Christ alone, that's where meaning is found. It's in receiving his work for you, his sacrifice on the cross, uh, suffering the death penalty for your sin and mine that I deserve, that you deserve, his glorious resurrection that triumphed over death. That's what allows you to live abundantly and fully and freely. And so when your trust is in Christ alone, the one true sacrifice for sin, your faith is founded in him and not in your own self-salvation project. That is only when the eternal that God has created in you can have any chance of being filled. And it will be. Knowing Christ is eternal life. But here's what I want you to know, because I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods here. Here's what you don't hear enough, and that is, there is a part of Everness you will still not find now. Isn't Jesus enough? Absolutely. Yes, if you are in Christ, you belong to God. Yes, if you belong to Christ, his spirit lives in you. You are his temple. Yes. If you are in Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing whatsoever. But you can't completely enjoy him in this life. Why? Because right now you're only seeing him like a poor reflection in a mirror. And you look forward to the day when you can see him face to face. See, Jesus promises a future in the life to come when all questions are answered, all needs are met, all longings contented, all hungers satisfied, all joys complete, and that's what heaven is for. And so, because of the everness in your heart, you must keep heaven in your mind. And of course, the only way to heaven, the only path to eternal life is through Jesus Your future with Christ is how you can keep going, stay encouraged, persevere in believing, stay strong in hope, increase in love. God made us to long for more. We need heaven. Now, by now, you you know that my favorite band is U2. I, I apologize. They're my age, so. And... Even if you don't know you 2 you've probably at least are familiar with something from their probably most well-known album, which is the Joshua Tree. And one of the songs that still gets radio play from that is, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I believe that most people misinterpret the lyrics of that song. In fact, uh, one of the verses of that song, I think, is one of the best lyrics, at least parts of it, that have ever been written. That's just my opinion. Here they are. I believe in the kingdom come when all the colors bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds. You loosed the chains. You carried the cross of my shame. And you know I believe it. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know what that is to me? That's Ecclesiastes. That's Romans. That's Hebrews. This life is beautiful, but it's always going to come up short. 
And the best of all God has for us isn't found anywhere on this planet because in heaven, God satisfies our everness. And so like the people of faith who are listed in Hebrews 11, we keep longing for a better country. Oh, life is great. But we keep longing for a better country. Don't ignore Everness. Recognize that God has put it in your heart and there's nothing on earth that will fill that void. And and this famous quote from C.S. Lewis where he says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Yes, indeed. That's it. That's Everness. And so when you're tempted to run after the wrong thing, trying to scratch an itch that you can't reach, remember that's what heaven's for. People of God, when you know that, you can deal with the dissatisfactions of this life because there's another world. And the greatest joys that there are, the the highest pleasures that you can imagine, the, the maximum achievements, the deepest satisfactions are in the life to come. And that should transform how I live today and how I die. Because when you say, well, this is all there is, then I need to experience and enjoy all there is, and I will be dissatisfied and worse. Because this world, it's not enough. So earlier this week, I was talking to one of our men here who told me he was going camping with his family this weekend. And maybe there are some other families that were going too from the church. I don't know, but he was going with other people. And so I said, uh, tent camping? And he said, yeah. So I told him, I said, hey, you know, I camped a lot growing up and, you know, for a while. And I said, the last time I slept on the ground in a tent with a couple of other guys was about 10 years ago. And when I got up in the morning, I said, this is the last time I'm ever going to do this. Paul David Tripp says the whole purpose of camping is to make you long for home. He says, on the first day, you put up the tent. It's exciting. But three days later, your tent has unpleasant odors you can't explain. You love food cooked on an open flame, but after a few days, it's way too much work. You can't catch any fish, and the steaks in your once ice-filled cooler are floating in a pool of blood-stained water. Enjoy your lunch, by the way. He said, suddenly, you begin to think fondly of home. And your four days in the wilderness have accomplished their mission. They've prepared you to appreciate home. And Tripp says this, our world is a broken place groaning for redemption. It's meant to make us long for forever. It's meant to prepare us for eternity. And that's what 2 Corinthians says too. It says that we know that if this earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, 2 Corinthians 5 says, we what? Groan. We groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. And groan means to sigh, not that we hate life, not because we want to die. We sigh because we long to experience all the blessings God has in store for his people the day when he fully and completely satisfies our everness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you 
that you, the eternal God, the Olam from Olam, have put that in us, that we might long for you, that we might be satisfied in the only way that you've made possible for us to be satisfied, through Jesus with the hope of glory. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be glorified as we go about this life that is so often frustrating and comes up short, and yet find in you the hope of glory through Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Church family, let me invite you to stand together as we respond to the Lord and sing out the song of praise. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy a new day dawning it's time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the evening comes bless the His holy name Sing like never before Oh my soul I worship your holy name You're rich in love And your soul to anger Your name is great
Amen. Have the uh, opportunity to offer you again. There will be elders available here at the front to pray with you, pray for you. Should you desire that, receive now this benediction from this tiny little book of Jude that points forward. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. I'm Bob Machetta, and I have the privilege of chairing your elder board. One of my duties is to be the communication link with the congregation. We all know we are facing challenging times as a church. We have several pastors assuming new roles and the possibility of conducting a search for a senior pastor. The elder board is praying for clarity to see God's plan. We are trusting the Lord will lead Pastor John and CBC in a direction that will expand his kingdom and bring him glory. The elder team is prepared to act in accordance with God's will. We are committed to provide you with transparent and timely information as we navigate through this journey. For additional information about the elder board, the pamphlet you see here will be available for your review. Please feel free to reach out to myself or any of the other elders to ask questions and forward to interacting with you. On behalf of the elder board, I ask for your prayers for clarity to see God's plan as we move forward as a church.